In this podcast series, we discuss the first-line treatment strategies for the management of locally advanced metastatic urothelial carcinoma in Canada. This part of the series is based on a live webinar presented on September 12, 2023 by Dr. Norman from the Chum Cancer Centre in Montreal, Dr. Terence Friedlander from the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, and Dr. Shrikala Shwidar from the Princess Margaret Cancer Centre in Toronto. The video of the webinar is divided into four episodes, which are available on our website, and the link can be found in the episode description. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Norman Blais, and uh, I'm the first uh, speaker and moderator for this activity tonight, dealing with first-line locally advanced and metastatic urothelial carcinoma, discussing evolving treatment strategy. So uh, the objectives for tonight is to discuss in a Canadian environment uh, what the uh, needs and unmet needs are for patients with locally advanced at metastatic urothelial carcinoma. Uh, we're going to have a keynote speaker discussing the new options that are going to be uh, hopefully soon available for patients as a potential upgrade to what we're doing right now in our practice. And uh, we're going to discuss uh, eventually in the discussion period uh, how uh, these data translate into a Canadian environment and how these will impact our current patterns of practice. So I will be discussing uh, the current standard of practice in Canada. First of all, I'd like to remind you of some historical data uh, published in 2019. The JUMAC was the site of the birth of consensus guidelines for uh, our Canadian environment. And we've published uh, four years ago uh, a guideline on how to manage patients with uh, locally advanced and metastatic urothelial carcinoma. And while it's still interesting to read a lot of things that are in this document, uh, a lot of things are now past their prime because many new options are now available for these patients, and that's uh, one of the first good news. We often talk about platinum eligibility when we talk about treating patients in the first line. Uh, this is much more important in the new adjuvant and adjuvant space because we feel that cisplatin is definitely a key player in that setting. Carboplatin and non-carbo and non-platinum uh, options are less interesting in the perioperative space, but it's still quite important uh, for uh, GU oncologists to try to guess who are the best players uh, to uh, receive cisplatin compared to carboplatin. And in the Canadian setting, as you will see, platinum ineligibility is bad news because there's no immunotherapy options as there are in other countries uh, worldwide. So this translates to an algorithm that looks like this. Patients with locally advanced or metastatic UC in Canada are planned to receive either cisplatin or carboplatin. Uh, about, in Canada, it's about a 50-50 split. Cisplatin is preferred for historical reasons, and I'm going to uh, maybe bring some suggestion that it might not be as relevant as it used to be. Uh, and keep in mind that most patients that do receive first-line chemotherapy have difficulty receiving second-line options because this type of cancer can evolve very rapidly, and most patients have complications that prevent them from getting second- or third-line options. So uh, I, I do think to think that uh, their first-line option is the best option uh, they will receive in, in the course of their disease. Uh, 
so coming back to the cisplatin issue, uh, it was felt that uh, cisplatin-containing doublets had more interesting long-term outcomes, uh, having a potential plateau for 10 to 15 percent of patients compared to carboplatin, uh, where there was not such plateau uh, after uh, two or three years. So it was often felt that cisplatin might have an advantage. In terms of activity, uh, we do uh, see that carboplatin and cisplatin uh, derive benefit from most patients having either a response or stable disease that we can see in 70% uh, roughly of patients that we treat in the first line. So that becomes relevant in the maintenance strategy uh, situation that I'm going to discuss later. Just coming back to the monotherapy options with immunotherapy, uh, we have five-year data from Keynote 052 that is not to be uh, put aside. At 48 months, uh, some 20% of patients are still uh, living, and most of them are in remission of disease after starting monotherapy. And I've had the privilege of being able to treat patients within that study and, and off-protocol because of uh, particular access to the drug. And, and for patients that are not platinum-eligible, immunotherapy uh, should have a role in the first-line space, but we do not have this funded in most provinces in Canada. I'm going to uh, discuss very briefly the addition of IO to first-line chemotherapy. Uh, that wasn't shown to lead to statistically significant improvements in survival, so that's not an option in Canada. I'm bringing the Danu trial comparing IO to first-line chemotherapy only to show one interesting finding from that study is that when you look at the outcomes of patients that have received cisplatin or carboplatin, there is a plateau in the carboplatin and cisplatin group. So that old notion of what's better, cisplatin or carboplatin, might not be as important as can the patient get platinum therapy and potentially can patients access immunotherapy in a second line or even in the maintenance setting. And that probably is the most important contribution to uh, the late outcomes of our patients. And that's leading me to talk about maintenance therapies that you know very well now in the urothelial cancer world coming to, to light by data from the Javelin Bladder 100 trial uh, showing uh, that adding Avelumab after stable disease or responding to therapy can lead to very significant overall survival gains. Uh, the hazard ratio uh, from the latest analysis uh, was 0 0.69, uh, very marked differences in survival that has led to widespread adoption of this practice uh, of using Avelumab after chemotherapy. Uh, looking at subgroups from that study, uh, the platinum partner uh, used in the first-line regimen did not change the late outcomes. Patients that had response or stable disease had similar outcomes. You could argue that potentially pdl one positive patients had a slightly better gain, and that's probably the case, uh, but negative patients still had a benefit from that strategy. So there wasn't any stratification factors that really gave us the um, possibility of selecting patients based on any of these uh, different characteristics. So we tend to treat everybody the same uh, with maintenance of Elumab when they're eligible for immunotherapy. Uh, those are the data for PDL1 uh, breakouts, negative and positive. And uh, just reminding you that uh, Javelin 100 is the biggest trial to show uh, maintenance benefits uh, in with immunotherapy, but a smaller phase two trial uh, that randomized pembrolizumab to placebo showed very similar findings 
really sustaining the, the idea that this strategy is really helpful for our patients. So in the end, we have a algorithm that can resemble this, uh, one where we uh, either select cisplatin or carboplatin when patients are platinum eligible. Uh, the difficult situation is when patients are not platinum eligible. In my hospital, I try to have tried to get some access when I can to single agent pembrolizumab or atezolizumab. Some patients do have inf insurances that can cover that, but for most patients, that is not an option. And patients will uh, then move on to avelumab if they're stable or responding. And patients that are progressing after first-line therapy will also have the option of using uh, second-line immunotherapy with pembrolizumab. Uh, most uh, Canadian provinces now have access to infortunat vedotin, so that's our third option uh, and second line option for most patients. And uh, taxanes are now uh, really rarely used in, in third line or, or later lines of therapy. Uh, one few words about erdafitinib. Uh, for those of you who were at ASCO this year, uh, we've seen a positive trial uh, showing erdafitinib benefits for FGFR positive patients. Uh, so that's an option that might come into play later on, uh, but the molecular diagnosis of that uh, strategy is still uh, not uh, standardized across the country. So my last slide is really the unmet needs for Canadian patients. I'd like to see better access to diagnosis, better access to primary care and specialized services, because patients get to us really late in the uh, care path. I'd like to see better access to molecular diagnosis. I think uh, we need to be better at selecting patients with specific drugs when we can. So that is to be improved upon. Platinum eligibility is still an issue because uh, we don't have access to immunotherapy in these patients. And uh, the new player in the field is the access to adjuvant nivolumab in certain provinces in the country. And that will change the care path for patients progressing after new adjuvant chemotherapy or adjuvant immunotherapy. So that might change the uh, path of care.